He's one of the best-selling artists of all time. But did you know he once refrigerated his urine? Yes, you heard that right. So that the wizards wouldn't come and get him. That and many more fascinating facts today on Reactions to the Classics. 25 Things, David What's going on, everybody? I am your host, Sean Holmes. And after an intro like that, it's really hard to just segue into the podcast. Those are some words I never thought I'd be dropping to introduce one of the pods. But welcome to the 25 Things series. This one on the man himself, David Bowie. And I got to tell you, on all the research I've done, and I've done the research on about nine or ten of these so far on different artists, this one was by far the most interesting one. David Bowie, if you're a super fan of his, knows he was a chameleon like none other. He was so artistic in many areas, which I'll get into in some of these facts. But uh, he was also in, I think, in that creativity comes just some really way out there things that uh, really just contributed to make him more interesting. But a few facts about David before we get into the 25 things. He sold over 140 million records worldwide. Uh, in the UK, he has 10 platinum albums, 11 gold albums, and 11 number one albums. And here in the States, he has five platinum and nine gold albums. He was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996. And following his death in 2016, Rolling Stone magazine actually called him, quote, the greatest rock star ever. Ever. Speaking of Rolling Stone, five of his albums appear on their list of 500 greatest albums of all time, and four of his songs appear on their 500 greatest songs of all time. And according to the website Acclaim Music, which basically aggregates everybody's lists into one list, he's the fourth most celebrated artist in popular music history. So without further ado, let's get into these 25 uh, very interesting things about David Bowie. First one is, his real name mirrored that of a 1960s star. He was born in London on January 8th, uh, ironically enough, the same date as Elvis Presley, although Elvis was 12 years older. And he was born as David Robert Jones, or David Jones, or Davy Jones. And that was where the problem was, because see, when David Bowie was trying to break into the music industry, Davy Jones, the lead singer of the Monkees, was already very famous. And so David did not want to be confused with Davy Jones. They're quite different musically. Nothing wrong with Davy Jones. Uh, He decided to change his name to David Bowie. Now the question becomes, why Bowie? Well, because he liked the versatile American knife, the Bowie knife. The name, he said, quote, cut both ways. One of the things I found very interesting about this is you come across artists changing the names all the time for stage names, but usually after they've had that stage name for a while or became famous and know that they're really never going to get away from that stage name, they actually go through the formality of changing their legal name to that stage name. But David never did that. He was David Robert Jones through his entire life. Second fact, David Bowie was boyhood friends with Peter Frampton. David was three years older than Peter, but they went to the same School, Bromley Technical High School, where Peter's dad was David's art teacher. They shared a unique bond over music and remained close friends all the way until David's death. 
uh, when Frampton was talking about him, he said, I quote, he really introduced me along with George Underwood to Buddy Holly and Eddie Cochran, people I wasn't aware of at that age. And they went on to collaborate a number of times over the years. David was also uh, teen pals with someone else. Our number three fact, David Bowie and Elton John. Uh, back in their teens when Bowie was still, of course, David Jones and Elton was Reginald Kenneth Dwight, the two future rock icons became friends, and they would frequently get together to talk about music. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall back then. huh? But shortly after David's death, John admitted that they had a falling out and hadn't talked much in about 40 years. Elton said, David and I were not the best of friends towards the end. We started out being really good friends. We used to hang out together with Mark Bolin, going to gay clubs, but I think we just drifted apart. He once called me rock and roll's token queen in an interview with Rolling Stone, which I thought was a bit snooty. He wasn't my cup of tea. No, I wasn't his cup of tea. And you know, in life, when we think back about these things, you know, Elton didn't go on to say if he had any regret about that, but... So many times in life, people we're close to, whether it's friends or family, we have these, these falling outs over things that when we look back years later are just kind of not that important, and we just lost out on all of that time. Imagine if those two would have stayed close friends, the things those two charismatic gentlemen could have done together. Number four, David Bowie's eyes were not two different colors. I know you're going, I've seen a million pictures of them. They were, but People often claim that he had heterochromia. Now, I'm not a doctor, boys and girls, so if I pronounce that incorrectly, my apologies. But that is a genetic condition that results in having two different colored eyes. But that's incorrect. Both of his eyes actually were blue. But what happened was he ended up with a permanently dilated pupil. And anaseoria, I think is the medical term, uh, we'll go with that. It happened when David was 15 years old and got into a fight with his friend, George Underwood, over a girl. Of course, it's always over a girl at that age, right? George said, I was so aggrieved, I walked over to him, basically turned him around and went whack without even thinking. What happened was George's fingernail sliced into David's eye, causing that permanently dilated pupil. Fortunately, though, those two had no hard feelings. They later collaborated on an album as the King Bees, which just didn't really get over. But Underwood went on to design the album covers for some of David's most famous records, including the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Now, unfortunately, that wasn't the only problem David had with his eye. Uh, he had another issue, our number five fact. In 2004, while performing in Oslo, Norway, a fan threw a lollipop onto the stage, which somehow managed to strike David in the eye, and it got stuck. A member of his crew runs out on the stage. They remove it, and David went on with the concert, a trooper to say the least. Now, David actually became a little slightly famous before he ever got into singing or acting. As a teen, he founded the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Long-Haired Men. See, in 1964, when he was 17, he formed this organization and was aimed at protesting the treatment that he and other men with long hair received on the streets of London. So I guess if you were around London in 1964, I'd love to know, I mean, was there, was there some bad stuff going on here for these guys? But the first television appearance of his career actually came because of this organization. 
him and a couple other guys made an appearance on the BBC's Tonight Show where Davy Jones, as he was known then, was, quote, protesting the treatment of men with long hair living in a post-Beatles world. He went on to explain to the London Evening News that the organization was, quote, really for the protection of pop musicians and those who wear their hair long. Anyone who has the courage to wear their hair down to his shoulders has to go through hell. It's time we were united and stood up for our curls. So the thing that I picked out of that was down to their shoulders. And that was just way out there. 464. Number seven, his first hit, Space Oddity, was perfectly timed. On July 11, 1969, Bowie released the single Space Oddity. The timing could not have been more perfect, see, because just days after the release of that single, the BBC actually used the song and ran it over its coverage of Apollo 11's lunar landing. It would end up being his first big hit in the UK. You know, sometimes talent wins out, but most of the time, well, along with that talent, you got to have some luck. And I cannot imagine many more things more fortunate than being the soundtrack to that iconic event in everyone's mind. Number eight, he was in at least 10 bands, including the Conrads, the Hooker Brothers, the King Beast, which I mentioned earlier, the Manish Boys, the Lower Third, the Buzz, the Riot Squad, Ten Machine, Tau Jones Index. And some of these even performed under other names. But in 1970, David briefly formed The Hype, where everyone in the band dressed up as superheroes. They were booed off everywhere they played. And if you notice the chronology, in 1969, Space Oddity becomes a huge hit. In 1970, he's still out here trying to reinvent himself, forming that hype, which just goes to show you, if you don't succeed at first or second or third or 10 times, try, try again, because that persistence pays off. Number nine, David Bowie's brother was a major inspiration for his music. In 1985, his half-brother, Terry Burns, who battled mental health issues throughout his life, unfortunately and tragically escaped from the hospital where he'd been admitted and killed himself. But he was reportedly the inspiration for a number of songs, including Aladdin saying, All the Madmen and Jump, They Say. Number 10, the biggest song and best-selling album in his career is probably not what you think it is. See, when I mention him, you probably have a ton of songs that go through your head and a ton of albums. See, the song that is the biggest one in his career is Let's Dance. And the album that was the biggest selling album of his career is also Let's Dance from 1983. It was produced by Now Rogers, who had actually auditioned to play guitar in Bowie's band around the time of 1975's Young American albums, but didn't get the part. But it's good to see that Niall and David were able to collaborate later on. And that was actually my first introduction as a 12-year-old to David Bowie and his music was Let's Dance. The video was on repeat on MTV, and I actually didn't love that song. I liked Modern Love off that album a lot more, but that was my opinion of David Bowie until we started doing our YouTube channel about a year and a half ago, and we dove into many of his albums. That The reviews are up on that channel right now, reactions to the classics. And then I realized, oh, David Bowie was brilliant. So uh, if I have that experience, many other people of my age, I'm 48, almost 49 at the time of this recording, probably have that same idea about David. And that was the power of the MTV generation. It can propel you to the biggest sales of your career. Number 11, his image appears on every single one of his album covers except for two. 
the UK release of the Buddha of Suburbia and his final album, Black Star. Because when you reinvent yourself like David, everybody wants to see what you look like on that next album cover. And he used that to his advantage. Number 12, he was indeed a saxophone man. He played the saxophone on many of his recordings. He started at the age of 12 after his brother introduced him to modern jazz. He actually began expanding his musical horizons. He became enamored, especially with Charlie Mingus and the great John Coltrane. Number 13, talking about that musical and instrumental ability. He played almost every instrument on the album Diamond Dog. He's primarily known, of course, for his singing voice, but he was also talented multi-instrumentalist. In the 1974 album Diamond Dogs, he had a backing band, but he was primarily responsible for not only the vocals, but the guitars, the saxes, the Moog synthesizer, the Mellotron, and even served as producer and mixing engineer. And he also played the iconic guitar riff on Rebel Rebel. So it's not something I often think about with David having that kind of unbelievable across-the-board talent, but he definitely had it. And so when I think of that, I always think of Paul McCartney and Prince, those guys that could do it all. David could do it all. He just chose not to most of the time. On that instrument theme, number 14, the same 1898 Beckstein piano was used on the recordings of Life on Mars, for David, but also on Hey Jude and Bohemian Rhapsody, which all three, of course, are iconic songs. And I wonder where that piano is today. That thing, if it hasn't already been sold at auction, would go for an unbelievable amount. Number 15, David was quite the acclaimed actor. He appeared in numerous films, plays, and television projects through the years, earning praise for his roles in things such as The Man Who Fell to Earth, The Last Temptation of Christ, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, and The Prestige, in which he played another enigmatic guy, Nikola Tesla. But for all his classic roles, many remember growing up with him as Jareth, the Goblin King in Labyrinth. He also did a stint on Broadway as the Elephant Man for three months in 1980. Now, David was also famous for being very choosy about these roles. He didn't choose every leading man role. There are several things that he turned down over the years some famous roles, as a matter of fact, but he knew exactly what he wanted to do and when he wanted to do it. Now, one of the roles that many young people know him for, he actually voiced the character Lord Royal Highness in the 2007 episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, SpongeBob's Atlantis SquarePantis in 2007. Just goes to show you that even towards the latter part of his life, he never took himself too seriously. Number 16, David Bowie, the painter. He painted for most of his life. He really preferred postmodern and surreal works of art. For David, like most, he said it was a form of meditation for him. In 1998, he told the New York Times that painting, quote, was about problem solving. I'd find that if I had some creative obstacle in the music that I was working on, I would often revert to drawing it out or painting it out. Somehow the act of trying to recreate the structure of the music in paint or in the drawing would produce a breakthrough in many of his paintings have sold for quite a sum of money. Number 17, just to show you the Renaissance man he was, he was quite the avid reader. He would oftentimes read a book a day at different points of his life. And, and David was quite a smart man. And they say the more you read, the more intelligent you will become. And maybe that is my problem. I better hit the books, boys and girls. Number 18, 
he was not into honors. Unlike most celebrities, music, actors, all kinds of stars, they do quite like that spotlight and acclaim, but David was, was different. In 2000, he turned down the commander title, CBE title, and in 2003, he denied a chance at knighthood. There would be no Sir David Bowie. When he was asked why, he said, I quote, I would never have any intention of accepting anything like that. I seriously don't know what it's for. It's not what I spent my life working for. Also, when London hosted the Olympics in 2012, Danny Boyle personally asked Bowie to perform his ballad Heroes during the opening ceremony. Bowie turned down that offer. Now, performing at the opening ceremonies is one of the biggest things any artist could do because it has the biggest worldwide audience you could possibly imagine besides the World Cup soccer event. So for David to turn that down, he wasn't just turning down the spotlight. He was turning down album sales and money because when you appear on something like that, I guarantee you the song Heroes would have been streamed two million times within the next hour on Spotify and Apple Music. So just another thing about David, he knew what he wanted to do and he knew what he didn't want to do. Number 19, speaking about one of those things that he knew he wanted to do, being Ziggy Stardust led him to question his sanity. Now, we know that David had many alter egos over the years, but Ziggy was, I would say, by far the most famous of them. From 1972 to 73, he toured in character as the glam rock persona until he abruptly announced he would be retiring Ziggy during a concert in 1973 at the Hammersmith Odeon. The concert later became known famously as the Retirement Gig, where he told the crowd, quote, not only is this the last show of the tour, but it's the last show that we'll ever do, he said of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, which I'm sure was quite the surprise as he just spontaneously did this from the stage for those that were playing in the band. He later went on to admit that Ziggy would, quote, wouldn't leave me alone for years. That was when it all started to go sour. My whole personality was affected. It became very dangerous. I really did have doubts about my sanity. And I think that's one of those things, you know, I've read over the years about actors who play, you know, really strange roles, that they get into that role so much, both in front of the camera and outside of it during filming, that sometimes they can't separate reality from art. And obviously this is what happened to David here. But at least he was smart enough to realize it and get out of it. Number 20, at the height of his commercial success, which would have been in 1983 if you were following along and paying attention to this podcast when Let's Dance came out, he was paid $1.5 million to perform at a 1983 festival, breaking industry records. Number 21, David Bowie was an early proponent and pioneer of the internet. Not only was David ahead of his time when it came to his art, but he also seemed to foretell the rise of the internet because in 1999, while discussing a newfangled invention known as the World Wide Web with the BBC, the host, Jeremy Paxman, suggested that the internet's potential had been, quote, hugely exaggerated. David was quick to jump in and make it clear that he didn't agree. He said, quote, I really embrace the idea that there's a new demystification process between the artist and the audience, he said. The interplay between the user and the provider will be so in simpatico, it's going to crush our ideas of what mediums are all about. So in other words, David saw that the artist could connect directly with the fan instead of having to go through a third party, the media, and 
that obviously in 2020, as we sit here, has been magnified with the invention of social media and those sorts of things. But David didn't just stop there. In 1998, so the previous year, he started his own internet service provider and called it BowieNet. It cost 10 pounds a month, came with five megabits for users to create their own homepage, and it was in service all the way until 2006. In September of 1996, he became the first major artist to release a single via internet download with telling lies. Now, if you were around in 1996, you feel the pain that I'm about to talk about. It took about 11 minutes to download that song, which would now take less than a second, depending on how quick your internet speed is. I remember those days, guys, where you would just hear the dun 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 as the phone line was connecting, and it would just slowly crawl along. You would go off and do something else and come back. So uh, I am so glad those days are done. Number 22, a lock of David Bowie's hair sold for $18,750. In June 2016, just a few months after he passed away, a lock of his hair, which had been snipped in 1983 by a wig mistress at Madame Tussauds in London, went up for auction as part of the Entertainment and Music Memorabilia Signature Auction held by Heritage Auctions. The bidding started at 2000 and early estimates thought it might go as high as four grand. But of course, yes, it sold for $18,750. The things that people that have money will spend that on never cease to amaze me. Um, I don't know what you would do with that. I guess you'd frame it, put it up on the wall. I don't know. Number 23, The Life After Death. His 25th and last studio album, Black Star, was released on his 69th birthday, just two days prior to his death. The world was shocked by his passing as his liver cancer was kept a secret, and the album was written as a swan song and parting gift to his fans. It would become his only album to top the Billboard 200 charts in the U.S. Those around him said he was full of energy to the end. It didn't show signs of stopping during his time working on the project. Number 24, to follow up on this Black Star theme, it was actually created in secret. He made this album in secret, didn't even let his PR team know about it. He went as far as forcing any staff who worked with him on the album to sign non-disclosure agreements. And 25, and I already have mentioned this is an ongoing series. I'm going to do tons of these over time about all kinds of things. Artists, albums, songs, you name it. They'll be part of the 25 Things series. But I don't know if I will ever have a particular item that has a crazy story like number 25. For a time, David Bowie feared a wizard might steal his urine. Have you been waiting for this? Have you been waiting 20 plus minutes for me to get around to this after the tease about this in the intro? Well, here's how it goes. In 1975, David moved to Los Angeles to become a movie star and to rid himself of the overwhelming tensions with his wife at the time, Angie. Once in L.A., this is kind of where it really quickly descended into chaos and turmoil for David. He was snorting cocaine and methamphetamines religiously, remaining awake for days on end during the recording sessions of Station to Station, one of the most famous albums. And he was existing primarily on a diet of green and red peppers and milk, along with the aforementioned cocaine. At one point, his weight dropped all the way to 80 pounds. David later said, I have serious problems about that year or two. I can't remember how I felt. I felt I have no emotional geography. I remember working with Earl Slick on the guitar sounds, 
And that's about all I remember of it. I can't even remember the studio. I know it was in L.A. because I've read it was. Now, Earl Slick, the guitarist he mentioned there, also has vague memories of the recording sessions. He says that album's a little fuzzy for the obvious reasons. We were in the studio, and it was nuts. A lot of late, late nights. I would become fatigued by 8 a.m. I would snort a line of cocaine, and I would go back in the studio. So things... Things are have always been crazy in the rock and roll world, but I think this particular time in the early to mid, even I guess to the late 70s, the 70s decade as a whole, things were really off the hook. Uh, interviews published in Playboy and Rolling Stone depicted Bowie's behavior as extreme during this time, even by rock star standards. He surrounded himself with burning black candles and Egyptian artifacts. He believed that bodies were floating past his window and that the Rolling Stones were sending him secret messages. See, David once had a conflict with the great Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin at his Manhattan townhouse, and since then he had believed that Page had put his soul in peril. He was convinced that Jimmy, who owned the home of black magic philosopher Aleister Crowley, was in cahoots with the witches, and they were out to get him. Hence, he stocked all his urine in his fridge to keep it safe from them. I had to save that particular thing for last, boys and girls, because I absolutely could not top it. I might just have to shut this whole series down because I don't know that I'll ever come across a story uh, to me that is that insane. But there you have it, the 25 things about David Bowie. Well, everybody, that's going to do it for another episode of the Reactions to the Classics Music Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us. When you get an opportunity, hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, when you get time, if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that'll help us out more than you can imagine. Check out our YouTube channel if you haven't yet. I'll put a link in the episode description. As always, if you want to reach me directly, you can hit me up at rttcyt at gmail.com. I promise to answer each and every one of those. We'll be dropping new episodes every Friday. Until then, stay safe, my friends.